Hello, and welcome to Returning to Us, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to hack your brain, build and strengthen relationships, and to teach people how to recognize and neutralize their emotional states. I'll discuss emotional intelligence and regulation, how food and exercise impact the body and brain, and share lessons from my own lived experiences. I'm Lauren Spiegelmeyer, the founder of The Behavior Hub, which is an organization that works to reduce the stressors of raising and educating children through a brain and biology-based lens. In these episodes, I'll share stories and strategies from my own life, work, and research, answer listener questions, and wrap it up with a try-it-at-home tip. Decades worth of information in just minutes. You ready? Right, back in action. <laughs> if you heard the last episode, I am going through a few books. We're gonna we're gonna call them a book study, and pulled out a few of my favorite books that have influenced the work I have done in the last decade plus, and just sharing some quotes, sharing some thoughts, kind of going into the details of the the text. And last episode, I introduced a book by Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey. That's kind of like a dialogue between the two of them. It's like, it's, it's an interview, more or less. Oprah asks Bruce Perry questions. Bruce Perry responds. You read the responses. Oprah responds and shares stories of her own life and her own experiences. So the book is called What Happened to You? It actually is um, only two years old. I think it came out in 2021. So relatively new. The research is is newer but all about understanding why people behave the way that they do in relationship, mostly to trauma, but also just, just to chronic stress. So if you didn't go back and listen to the last episode, go do that. You can learn more about the book there. But today I just want to jump into a few more quotes from the book before we change texts. So my goal here is to get you to understand human behavior better so that we can have more grace and compassion for our kids in education, in our family systems, but also just for people in general. And sometimes I really love and hate being an empath because, and for those of you who don't know what an empath is, just it's someone who is so emotionally and intuitively aware that I can sense people I'd never even met before that are in my presence, that they are struggling with something. I, I could sense that someone has something going on just intuitively through my gut without them even having to say anything. And it's a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because I really see through people well, and it's a curse because I don't always want to carry the emotional weight of everyone else, but I do desire to help people understand people better because this is a world where we could just use some more grace and more compassion for each other. And ironically, the first point that I'm going to go into here gives some really information about kind of why the world is the way it is right now. So let's go into <laughs> let's go into the first bit of quotation from the, the text. Oprah and and Bruce Perry, Dr. Bruce Perry, state about how our like our media, our social media, news media, these institutions and systems, e even our communities all around us, 
Now, they are all infused with elements of bias. Bias this way, bias that way, politically this way, politically that way. There's thought, that thought. And in many of those instances, we pass on the language of those biases in kind of like invisible, but really powerful ways. Like they're not so direct, but it makes sense when you keep hearing something from your family system or your community system or your media system, and you hear it more and more and more and more and more, your brain starts to kind of wire in the direction of that, meaning it becomes a belief you hold, even if it's not a conscious belief, it's it's a subconscious belief. It's kind of wild how our brain works and our memory system works without us being fully consciously aware. So what they coin this as is like generational transmission of thought, belief, biasy. And it's something that's passed on from generation to generation, because if you are hearing something or seeing something and it's stored in your memory system, then you will speak about it throughout your life. And as you have children, you'll talk about it and they'll develop um, similar memory systems. Now, there are certainly people who are outliers that... uh, are more like strong-willed and independent. So they may go against what they were raised with. And that's just more of like a personality type thing. But most people will begin to believe what, what they were around. So children will grow up, grow up and they will then learn and teach someone in the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. It's why like clans of people and that have similar beliefs and thoughts really stick together. They're uncomfortable in places or situations where people have differing beliefs. So we really have to think about what kids see in media and people don't really read magazines much anymore, but it used to be like magazines and what they read and the types of people we welcome into our homes and interacting with people who look different and act different and think different than us because all of these factors influence that kind of generational transmission of thought and process and belief. So my personal belief is it's good to have people around you who have differing beliefs because if anything, it'll make your belief maybe more concrete or stronger, but it's good to have compassion and be open to those things. So your experiences really kind of echo those of your ancestors' experiences and influence the way that you think, the way that you feel, and the way that you behave. I mean, this goes even to like, let's go back to this. And I have something I want to share about this anyhow, but I'm reading a lot about this empath-narcissist relationship bond because I see it a lot in the world today. I see like these polarities of couples, which can be a good thing if you've got two healthy people, but if you've got one or both unhealthy people, it can lead to a really toxic environment. And that could be friendship, that could be romantic partner, that could be uh, even work relationships. So why it's so fascinating to me is uh, the bondage that comes from that, but um, also from like parent to child, because a narcissistic parent will create likely a narcissistic child, or if that person is in a relationship, it's typically a codependent relationship. So the empath, the the feeling giving person is bonded to the narcissist. So the child could become a codependent. Uh, it's not either, or it could be that the child has healthy uh, relational models around them and they become perfectly fine and normal. But I want to talk about this kind of thought, uh, not even thought, like research, uh, 
because awareness of our family origins is really important for changing the future. And and we may not have such great family origins. And I'm a product of that. I'm a product of a pretty toxic childhood environment. And I don't know if it's my personality type or just kind of luck that I landed in the field that I did. And it's not luck. I definitely landed in the field I did because of my history, but I gained knowledge to information that changes what I believe about that. That means I don't have to repeat that pattern. I can be self-aware enough and educated enough to not repeat the patterns of my family systems, meaning that my child won't have the future that I had or that my child will have a very different future because that transmission won't happen. It will stop with me because it's a toxic transmission. It's not a healthy transmission. So let, let me move on here to say there is there has been some research done about the world as a whole and transmissive things around kind of a self-driven society. So let me read this research for you. Okay. So this is from the book that is called the human magnet syndrome. So we're going book studies (laughs) into other book studies and layers of books within books in this podcast. But Ross Rosenberg is the author of that book. So in the book, it says post-World War II economic wealth, liberal government politics, the disintegration of organized religion, and a society seeking self-actualization, the American people divested themselves of their community-based social values and instead sought happiness and fulfillment through their own efforts. Let me continue. The pursuit of utopianism in the 1960s transformed itself in the 1970s into an obsessive search for professional growth. In neither decade did we find what we were looking for. Instead, as a society, we became increasingly obsessed with personal comfort, emotional satisfaction, and selfish pursuits. As a society, we became increasingly desensitized towards the welfare of our communities and humanity as a whole. So let me break that down really quick for you. Essentially, what it is saying is that post-World War II and really around like the 1970s, we fell into this kind of personal growth, which isn't all bad. Like it's it's good to have a growth mindset. We've talked about this on the episode, the the podcast before. But the problem is when you become so growth oriented that you and personal growth oriented that you become almost self-consumed with with betterism. And there's like a never enough mindset, like always needing more, always needing better, always needing something. And if you think about our society and our comparison society and our social media and all the programs out there for self-development, they're not all bad or good or either, or it's not black and white, but when we are so driven in the pursuit of betterment of ourselves, we become very narcissistic because we forget about the collective. We forget about the whole. We forget about others. And we begin to place ourselves above others. And that's what's happening. That's what's happening in family systems when we don't connect with our kids, when we are working all the time, when we're overly involved with with stuff. I mean, even when kids are involved in all these programs, is that for them? Is it for us? Do we want our family or our kids to look a certain way or be a certain way or achieve a certain level? And that's how we put them in all these sports. You just like question some of these things. How did we end up here? And that's all I'm going to say. I just want you all to mull that over in your mind for a little bit and think about where we are, where we've been, and is this the healthiest place to be as a whole, as a society? 
and do we need to change direction a little bit? All right, moving in a completely different direction. Actually, this is not completely different, but another quote from our original book, What Happened uh, to You. They talk about how people with a developmentally adverse um, childhood or uh, people who've experienced a lot of adversity in their lives across a period of time are chronically dysregulated. So here's what happens in a nutshell. Here's the science behind it. When you are chronically stressed or traumatically stressed as a child or even across a period of time, your nervous system becomes dysregulated, meaning your ability to stay neutral is um, reduced. And little things trigger you to go into a state of dysregulation because you're just your body gets so used to living in that dysregulated state, so it just stays dysregulated. That's a problem for many reasons, both children and adults, because if we are, if children aren't regulated, they cannot learn because a dysregulated child cannot learn. Why? Because dysregulation involves parts of the brain that are more emotionally based and not logically based. And since learning is logical, we have to be able to be in our, emo- our in our logical brain to learn. If you're dysregulated, you're not in that logical brain. It's also a problem for the work setting. And we need to understand this because if we are supervising people who are chronically dysregulated, they're not going to be very effective employees. And um, if they are effective, too effective, you have to begin to wonder if they are avoiding issues, internal issues, and they are just plunging into to work to avoid fixing those problems. So your healthiest employees are the ones that have boundaries, are the ones that do what they need to do, but don't always overachieve and who aren't suffering and unable to achieve. So all this said, getting curious about people's behaviors and actions and responses and why they are that way. What could have happened to someone to make them that way? The biggest thing to note here, the key to all of this, to schools, to kids, to regulation, to work is connection, safe connection. Relationship is healing. Relationship is rewarding. Being connected is the most efficient and effective way to get back into logical brain. So if you want a culture or a workplace setting that is conducive for the healthiest individuals and keeping them healthy, connection, 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 which takes me to kind of this back to this like narcissistic talk in our society is like family systems outsourcing childcare to tablets, phone, tech, and even watching family systems interact where Parents who are with their children aren't really with their children. I mean, even like, I mean, I've experienced this in my own life and and I've been guilty of it. I'm not a big picture taker. And I partially am am like, I want to document some of the memories so I have them to look back. And so our our kids can look back and and see themselves and, and the growth and the progression. At the same time, I don't always want to be documenting my child because... I'm missing the moment. And I used to say this to my partner. It's like when we would travel, it's like taking photos of everything. And I'm like, gosh, you're missing the beauty of the thing in the moment because you're so busy documenting it. And you'll be able to look back, sure, and see it later. But you can't do both. You can't be fully present and be capturing the moment. It's just not possible. That's why we hire photographers for weddings because we want to be fully present. So we hire someone else to do the photo taking. That's a problem with family systems. That's a problem with our society. And we have 
this, this distraction problem. It's a distraction. It all comes back to distractions. And we are not very good at being present. And if you aren't present and you're always actively doing something, your nervous system is not regulated. Whew. Our society is not all that. <laughs> I feel like I have society dumping today. Um, but it's more just to bring awareness. I'm concerned for where we're at and where we're headed because I'm not sure we're awake and aware enough to change this problem. And it doesn't heal on its own and it doesn't get better unless we become aware. So bringing awareness to the problem. <laughs> All right, last thing I want to address here is um, with, so so let's go back to like the 70s until now. We're in 2023. So we're 50 years past the 70s and 50 years of moving more and more and more and more into this self-development phase of, of being. Um which means that our offspring and our kids are growing up with those transgenerational thoughts and patterns and, and kind of independence. And in order to change the direction of all of this, in order to help regulate people and to become aware and to change the neural networks, the brain, it takes time and experience. And when you become aware and you start to do something to change the trajectory, change the pattern, break the behavior. You have to have lots of experiences and practice with it. And that takes a lot of time because we're rewiring the entire brain. Patience, understanding, sufficient amounts of practice and experiences to sculpt, to change, to shape these new views into place. And it doesn't happen quickly. So all of this, whether therapeutic practice or not, whether it's independent practice or just awareness, it's about building these new associations, these new beliefs and putting them in place and practicing them enough that we develop these healthier default pathways of the brain. And it's, it's tough. Um, It's not easy. It doesn't happen quickly, but if we are a generation now who says, I don't want this for the next generation, and we start to make that change, and then they become aware of that change, and they hear from us and see from us and develop from us, they have the opportunity to kind of be a step ahead in that direction. So if we understand how all of this works in the brain and the neural networks, then we can we can make the changes. And this is why understanding how chronic stress or traumatic stress impacts our brain and our health overall is really essential for everyone in every field because we're all impacted by it. We all can't escape from it. We're all living in this society today. So just a few things to keep in mind. (laughs) Meanwhile, we're worried about these tiny little problems in our lives and we've got a much bigger gaping hole in our soul. (laughs) Today's listener question. Woohoo! is how does child stress compare to adult stress? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but basically you need to know that a child's brain is not as developed as an adult brain. Therefore, it's not as easy for them to manage the stress and deal with the stress because one, they probably don't recognize it as stress because they don't know yet how to 
recognize that in their body and their mind. We try to teach them that. And they probably don't have the coping skills yet. So even if they did recognize that it was stress or anxiety or whatever it is, they probably don't know how to cope with it. So we as adults hopefully have that skill set and the ability to recognize so we're able to cope better than kids. But otherwise, it's pretty similar. Stress, whether you're five or 15 or 25 or 55, stress does similar things in the body. It might manifest itself differently because we all have different coping default coping mechanisms and different genes. And some deal with stress better than others. But chronic stress, traumatic stress, stress in general, it it's still, you know, if if too much is um, experienced, it still deteriorates the body. It's still not good for us. Uh, again, stress isn't all bad. Stress is a good thing. It helps us grow, but um, it manifests itself in different ways depending on the person, the age, the personality, the genes. So it's not only different from child to adult, it's different from person to person. And that takes us to wrapping up our show, which I am going to challenge you based on a little bit I've shared from the book today to not only try something new, but try something new that requires you to be fully present. Like go on a dinner with your families, your family, (laughs) and don't take phones, leave phones in the car or go on a hike and don't take a phone or try an art class and don't take a phone. Do something new that helps you to grow a little bit because it might cause a little bit of discomfort, a micro stress in a good way and try to be as fully present as possible. All right, that's it for today's episode of Returning to Us Podcast. Remember our try at home tip, which is try something new and be fully present. And if you are looking for more support in the areas of stress, trauma, or behavior, I would love to be a part of your learning journey. The Behavior Hub, which is the organization I created, offers a range of supports from coaching to online courses, even university credit from the University of Pennsylvania. So if you want to learn more, shoot me a text to 717-693-7744, or you can pop on the website, thebehaviorhub.com, and shoot me an email. Don't forget to lock in what you learned by sharing with somebody or commenting below a takeaway, or even just sharing the books I mentioned today with somebody to read. It could be really life-altering and life-changing. Until next episode, I am Lauren Spiegelmeyer, and thank you for joining me.